Bibles this morning, I would like you to turn to the, uh, the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, if you don't know where that is, there's a table of contents in the front of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, it's in the New Testament, it, it, uh, more than half, about three-quarters of the way back. And if you don't have a Bible, we want to get you one. So if you don't have a Bible, uh, we, will, we will give you a Bible. You see me or one of the other pastors that you saw up here earlier, or really anybody on the platform, they'll be able to direct you, and we'll get you a Bible, and you can take it home, and you can bring it back with you next week. We want to get a Bible into your hands. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Before we read this morning, um, uh, I want to say a couple things about a couple of words. First of all, a few statements, few words are as harsh as calling someone incompetent or inadequate. Boy, those are strong words. You call someone incompetent, that is, a, that is like hitting them with a, uh, with a cannon. I mean, that's a big word. Call someone incompetent or call them inadequate. That's maybe a little bit lesser blunt, but, but incompetent or inadequate. Those words mean when you call someone incompetent or inadequate, you're essentially telling them that you are not up to the job that you don't have what it takes to get the job done, that you're not up to the task. You're not able to do it as it should be done, inadequate or incompetent. The following statements uh, are from a British Navy officer performance review. Let me say that again. Um, The following statements were from a British Navy officer officer review, uh, job review, performance review, and they were found in a file that were listed as incompetent. In other words, officers who were officially, Navy, British Navy officers who were officially declared incompetent. These are three of the, uh, of the statements that were made about different people that were found in that file. One review said this of this officer. His men would follow him anywhere, but only out of curiosity. Here's another one. The officer should go far, and the sooner he starts, the better. And then this one. This is my favorite. I saved this one. This man is depriving a village somewhere of an idiot. What a statement. (laughs) One officer writing this about another, a superior officer writing this about another, saying that this person is absolutely incompetent. They can't do the job. They've gone through officers' training. They've gone through the academy. They've done all of the preparation, but they just can't cut it, and they put their names under the file incompetent. Incompetent and inadequate are some of the worst things that you can say about someone, and by the way, they're absolutely one of the worst things that you can hear. Perhaps I don't know this for sure, but perhaps at some point in your life, someone has in some way said, you are incompetent. You are not up to this job. 
you need to think about something else because you are not cutting it here. Some of you who employ others have had to say that to some people at some times, hopefully maybe not quite that blunt, but sometimes that is necessary. But to say those words and to hear those words are difficult. I don't know about you, but sometimes we even say that about ourselves. I can't do it. I can't cut it. I'm not up to this. I can't do it. I can't do it for much longer. Incompetent and inadequate. Here in 2 Corinthians, uh, this is a letter. It was initially written as a letter to the, the body of Christ, to Christians who were in the city of Corinth, a very, very significant Roman city um, of the first century. And someone in the city of Corinth had accused Paul of being incompetent and inadequate. Now, if you know anything about Paul, you would know that that would be a pretty strong charge. To say, to say that this man who was, who was so capable, at least from our standpoint, who was so powerfully used of God, but somebody in Corinth or maybe some persons in the city of Corinth had accused Paul of being incompetent and inadequate, not up to the task. Uh, An apostle, let me explain, an apostle is a person with a spiritual role of authority or leadership. Initially, the first 12 apostles were Jesus's 12 disciples. And so they became, the 12 disciples became the first 12 apostles, but it didn't stop there. Paul, however, was not one of those original 12 disciples. Paul Paul was not one of those present at the Last Supper. Paul was not there when Jesus ascended into heaven. Paul never saw Jesus hanging on the cross. In fact, as far as we know, Paul never saw Jesus during his earthly ministry. I believe that had he seen him, had he interacted with him, he certainly in all of his writings would have referred to it, but he does not. So we're quite confident Paul never saw Jesus during Jesus's earthly ministry. So therefore, some of the people in Corinth had rejected Paul's apostleship saying, you weren't one of the 12 and, and therefore you are, you call yourself, they said, you call yourself an apostle, you call yourself a leader of Christians, but you're really not a leader because you weren't one of the 12. Other people said that he was inadequate, that he was incapable of calling himself an apostle or a leader because of his past. Quick summary, Paul, prior to coming to Christ, had been really the foremost persecutor of, 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 of Christians in the very infant church. He was a man who was responsible for the apprehension, for the arrest, and ultimately for the death of many of the first believers. This guy was, as far as Christians were concerned, was public persecutor number one. But he came to Christ, he had a dramatic conversion, and he, he went in the absolute opposite direction from when he'd gone, and a man who was intent upon stamping out Christianity now became the greatest missionary there was in the early church. That was Paul. But some people, knowing his past, said, you're not up to the task. You can't call yourself a leader because of your history. That's the backstory. That's the backstory. 
So Paul responded here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 5, read this way. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. So understanding the backstory, you understand why he's writing what he is. Again, this confidence is ours through Christ before God. Not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. I really like that last statement. You see it there and you're holding it in your hands or you see it on the screen. I like that last statement particularly. Our competence comes from God. If you're into underlining in your Bible, you may want to underline that statement. I think it's a great statement. In fact, I think that's worthy of one of those to transfer to a three by five card and put it into some place if you really need to. Our competence, he said, our competence rather, he wrote, comes from God. Paul said that he was competent. Paul said that he was adequate because God called him. Now you have to understand something about Paul. He, he was extremely fervent, had always been, but that's not where he found his competency. That's not where he found his adequacy. He was a very educated man. In fact, um, he was probably, um, probably the most educated person in the early church that is recorded. There were other, those who were educated. But this man, his, his academic, if you will, pedigree was off the charts. But he did not regard that as key to his competency. It came down quite simply to this. Paul knew that God had called him to do a particular task, and it was in that calling that he found his competence. He wasn't competent, he didn't regard himself competent because he was experienced. He didn't regard himself competent or adequate or up to the job because of his education, though it was very good and there was nothing wrong with that. He didn't do it because of his personal connection or because of his winning personality. He found his competence quite simply in this. God called me and therefore he makes me up to the task. Now that's very important. Directed by the Holy Spirit. He, he wrote, we're not competent in ourselves. Our competence comes from God. He was, comp- he was confident, and you see that word there at the very beginning, such confidence. He was confident because he knew that God's hand was on him. Now, I'm going I'm to say this in different ways this morning, but this is very important. The greatest thing that will ever happen to your confidence is knowing that God's hand is upon you. That's very important. Let me say it again. If, if, If there's one factor that's going to make a difference in your confidence, it is knowing that you are walking with Christ and that his hand is upon you. Now, I'm going to come back to this, but I want you to take that Bible again and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 10. Now, Old Testament. 1 Samuel chapter 10, and, and, and the reason that I go here is there's an example there of a person who, uh, uh, who God qualified. He wasn't qualified to begin with, but God qualified him. Um, 
again, just a little bit of backstory to this. Earlier, the people of God, excuse me, the people of Israel had asked God to give them a king. For a lot of years after the Exodus, after their deliverance from Egypt, they had, uh, they had been without a king, but the people cried out for a king, and so God gave them a king. His name was Saul, not, not Paul, that was New Testament, Saul, S-A-U-L. His name was Saul. Saul is, by the way, one of those Bible persons who is a great example of a very strong start and a really lousy finish. And you will see people like that throughout the Word, and I'm grateful for it because it gives the good and the bad. But Saul's a great example of a really good start and a really lousy finish. But I do point out, he did have a very, very good start. We can study his whole story another time, but early on, Saul was a man who was humble, and he was workable, and he was malleable by God, and he was God-dependent. This, when, when Saul started out, he was extremely, um, he was a, really a good guy and very usable in God's hand. Now that changed, but early on he was very, very broken before the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 6 and 7, God's prophet, his name was Samuel, said this to Saul, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power, and you will, he's foretelling this, he's telling this is what's going to happen. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power. You will prophesy with them and you will be changed into a different person. I want you to see that again. You will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. I paraphrase. God, speaking through the prophet Samuel, is telling Saul, who's just about to become king, or he is, he's, he's in the process of, of becoming king, God is telling him, I am going to change you into another person. And when that happens, you're going to do some things, but you're going to do them not under your own volition, not under your own power, not under your own direction, not under your own strength. You're going to do them under the power of God. God is going to change who you are. I mean, here's this guy who had no experience as a king. Who did? There weren't kings, at least of the Jewish people. Here's a man who has no understanding of protocol or diplomacy or all the other things that come with being a king. But God was going to change him because God called him. Now, we don't know everything that happened in that moment, but what God said was going to happen, did in fact happen. God empowered him to perform the task ahead of him. Let me say that again. God empowered him to perform the task ahead of him. There's a little maxim that I learned years ago, and you're going to memorize it right now because it's very easy to memorize. But it's something that I learned, I don't know, probably 30, 35 years ago, and it was probably old then. But it's a great statement that once you get a hold of it, you'll never lose it and you'll go back to it again and again. And some of you have already learned this or heard this. It's a little maxim that goes like this. Where God guides, he provides. Now, it's, that's, it's, it's so simple. Where God guides, he provides. That's what God was telling, that's what God was telling Saul here. I have called you to do this And having called you to do this, I'm going to give you the goods necessary to do what I've called you to do. 
He was telling him, where I guide you, I will provide for you. And you get a hold of that, and I'll come back to that a little bit later, but if you get a hold of that, that is something that you're never going to lose, and you'll go back to it again and again. I, I probably, conservatively speaking, I probably have said that same statement three or four or 5,000 times in my life. God, if you're guiding there, then you will provide there. If you're telling us to do something, then I don't know how it's going to happen, but if, it, if we continue to walk with you, then you are going to make that happen. Why? Because where God guides, he provides. Now, you won't find that statement in Scripture, but you'll see that principle throughout Scripture. Where God guides, he provides. So, that's the message, not only here in in 1 Samuel 10, but it's also the same message back in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Back there in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul said he didn't choose himself, God chose him. And he found, and knowing that, knowing that I have been chosen by God to do a particular task, I find great confidence in that. He found his confidence in knowing that God had called him and God had appointed him. So you have, you have Saul in the Old Testament, and you have Paul in the New Testament, but what about you? That's really where it comes down to, because if all we're doing here this morning is giving a little history lesson on Paul and Saul, then you, know, you may learn a few things, but it really won't change your life. But I'm going to bring it now down to you. What about you, where you are right now? Is God leading you? Or has he led you to do something, or is he leading you to do something, and you don't feel like you have what it takes? Don't raise your hands, just process that for a moment. Do you feel that God either is or has led you to do something? He is leading you into a place, or he will lead you into a place to do something that is beyond your experience, beyond your education, beyond your learning, beyond your passions, beyond your expectations? Is God leading you into that place, but seeing all of the expectations, seeing at least some of what the job requires, you're wondering right now if you have what it takes to do the job. Just ponder that for a moment. Don't raise your hands, but are you in a place, or has he led you recently, or is he soon leading you into a place that you feel or you wonder, I don't know if I have what it takes to get the job done. It's bigger than what I ever expected. Some of you right now, I think, because the Lord's directed me to preach on this, I have to believe that some of you right now are on a learning curve that is far higher and much wider than you ever thought. You're being asked to do something, or something has been placed before you, an expectation that is just beyond what you can handle, or at least beyond what you think you can handle. Maybe you've said that, or... Maybe others are saying that of you. 
Maybe you're in that place, you're doing something, you're starting something new, that your, your, your past experience may have prepared you a little bit, but not, at least in your mind, enough. And, and other people are around you, and, and they're starting to ask questions like, I don't know if he's got, I don't know if she's got what it takes. I don't know if they're going to make it. Is that you? A couple more examples. Moses, remember, uh, in fact, we kind of referenced him in one of the songs that we sang this morning. Uh, I wonder how Moses felt. I wonder how Moses felt when he, when he stood. You can find this story in the book of, of Exodus. I wonder how Moses felt when he stood on the banks of the Red Sea and he sees the Red Sea before him. And he turns around and he sees the advancing army of Egypt coming back to recapture them and take them back into slavery in Egypt. I wonder how Moses felt when he sees an impossible, uncrossable obstacle in front of him and an advancing army behind him. I wonder how he felt. Here's the thing. The Bible doesn't record his feelings. We don't know what he felt, but the Bible does record his words. He said, do not be afraid. He said this to the people. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you. He didn't say, guys, let's, let's pull ourselves together and, you know, let's go get them. They're a bunch of slaves for Pete's sake. They aren't going to get anyone. This is, the, this is the most powerful army in the world that is hot on their heels and they couldn't do anything. But what does he do? He doesn't share his feelings, but he stands upon what God had spoken to him sometime before at a burning bush, how God had confirmed again and again and again through the plagues that ultimately delivered them from Egypt. And he, with great faith and yet still with a big obstacle in front of him, this, this godly man Moses said, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you. He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't cocky. And I don't think Moses was up there going, boy, today's the day, boy. No, he's, he's not cocky. He's godly confident that what God said he would do, God said he was going to take him to the promised land. He didn't know how, but he knew that he was going to get him there. And that's godly confidence. He wasn't there. I mean, this guy, he was like ready to sell the flock and retire back in Midian. That's what he wanted to do earlier, but God called him. And God confirmed it with signs following. And he knew that he was standing there in God's plan. And in that place, he found confidence, not in himself, but in the God that he served. Or David. How, uh, there's another example, right? David, you, you perhaps know the story, David and and Goliath, when he faced that giant, nine feet tall, experienced, he's like the best of the best warriors in all of the Philistine army, the enemy of the Israelite army. And, and he's facing him and all, I mean, this guy's got, you know, he's got, a, he's got a sword and he's got a spear and he's got a shield and this guy's got armor and he's huge. The guy blacks out the sun. I mean, this is just... Physically terrifying. I wonder how David felt as he advanced on him and all he has is a shepherd's staff in one hand and a sling with a couple of stones in the other. I wonder how he felt. Well, here's the thing. The Bible doesn't record how he felt, but the Bible records his words. 
His words are recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 17. He said, it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. These are not the words of a cocky young man who's, who's, who's got more mouth than he has goods. That's not the case here. This is not a man who's just trying to buck himself up with strong words. This is not trash talking the giant Philistine. This is a man who is in godly confidence standing there and saying, this battle is not going to be won. I paraphrase, this battle is not going to be won in conventional ways. This battle is the Lord, and he's going to put you in my hand today. That's godly confidence. That's a man who's trusting God with his very life. The thing is, there's a lot of people in this book. You can read it from cover to cover, and I trust that you have or you are. You can read this book from cover to cover, and you will find a lot of people who were greatly used of God, who were frequently outnumbered, often overwhelmed, and usually underqualified, at least in natural ways. You show me a hero or a heroine in this book You show me a person that God greatly used, and I will show you someone who was lacking in experience, often lacking in education, often lacking in physical stature, often lacking in family connections. They were oftentimes the least of the least of the least, but God strengthened them, and where God led them, he provided for them. That's that's one of the great common denominators, if you will, of persons in this book. God placed those kinds of persons into some of the most difficult places so that people, when it happened, and when the the victory came, like with David and Goliath and with Moses and between the the advancing army and and the, the Red Sea and, 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 and so many other, like those persons, so that when it happened, people gave glory to God rather than the person. Because they know that God did this. But God used that person because they knew that they were there by God's plan. Here's the thing. It's very important. God can use any one of us to do his work. Let me say that again. God can use any one of us But hold on with this next statement. But often, when we say, I can't do something, we really mean, I won't do something. Now, that's a strong statement, but I know that I'm supposed to say it. Oftentimes, when God places something before us, when God in His plan, maybe through someone or through something or some circumstance, And God places something before us, an opportunity that is beyond our experience, that is beyond our training, that is beyond our expectation, that is beyond our comfort, that is beyond our abilities, or at least our perceived abilities. He places something before us. We don't say, I won't do it. We often say, I can't do it. Because we measure who we are by the task that he places before us and we go, I don't, I don't have it. But we're really not saying, I can't do it. We're really saying, I don't want to do it. 
and we hide behind our inabilities. Now, what I just said there is extremely provocative. What I just said really has the potential of really stirring some things up. But I wonder how many times has God wanted to use us? I mean, He really wants to use us. He wants to use us far beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. But it doesn't happen because we hide behind our inabilities. We hide behind our incompetence. We hide behind things like, well, I was never trained for that. Or, well, I've never done that. Or, I'm uncomfortable with that. Or, surely someone else is more qualified to do that. Or, uh, maybe, uh, or I don't have the time. Or, I don't have the ability. Or, I don't have the desire. So many times we hide behind those things and we say, I can't do those things when we really, when we're really saying, I don't want to do those things. It's a strong statement. But God can use any of us. God is, is not so much, and, and I've said this before, again, one of these little maxims that are maybe easy. To, God is far more concerned our, about our availability than he is our ability. Again, that's very easy to, to remember, but it's true. God is far more concerned about our availability than he is our ability. God just says, I want to use you. And we say, well, I don't have it, but if you call me to it, then I guess you'll give it to me. Why? Because where God guides, he provides. If you call me to it, then my confidence will not be in what I've done or how experienced I am or the training that I have, but my confidence will be, well, you called me to this, so therefore you're going to give me the goods to see it happen. People often say, I've heard it, maybe you've heard it, maybe you've said it, maybe I've said it, I cannot forgive myself or I cannot forgive that other person. How many times has that been said? In conversations with other people, various times throughout my adult life, I've heard that more times than I can count. I don't have it in me to forgive that person. I won't forgive that person. Actually, actually, no one can forgive another person. You don't have it within you. I don't have it within me to forgive, truly forgive another person. None of us None of us here, no person who's ever lived, has the capacity or the capability to truly forgive. But His grace and His mercy operating in me is more than enough. So you can't say, well, I don't have it in me. Well, yeah, in one sense, you're right. In one sense, you're right. You're lacking that, but He can give you that because He's called you to that. So when, he, when, when Jesus, on a couple of different occasions, he shen, essentially says, um, uh, 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 you will only be forgiven if you forgive others, he's not placing before us an impossibility. He's saying, I have the mercy and the grace to give you to make that happen, but you have to access it because you don't have it in yourself. Somebody asked me a couple of months ago, uh, I won't go through the whole story, but... Uh, uh, Six, seven months ago, um, our daughter was assaulted in Washington, D.C., and, and uh, uh, I drove through the night to Minneapolis because there were hunters, so many hunters that we couldn't get a flight here. So I drove to Minneapolis and then flew out the, uh, the next morning to, uh, to Washington, D.C. to be with our daughter. And on the flight, I, uh, for a, a little while, I was thinking, boy, I hope I find that guy. And uh, I'm going to lay hands on him. <laughs> 
not in a good way. And I, and I just remember feeling this as I was driving, actually. It was not on the flight, it was on the drive. And I was just like, I want to, I I, can I, see, I don't know if I should say this. I, I want to hurt him. If I see him, I might, I don't know what I'm going to do. But I can honestly say that, and, and it could have been far worse, so I don't want to maximize it, but I also don't want to minimize it. I, I experienced grace so that when I arrived there, um, if I would have seen that young man, I would not have hurt him. I would have had compassion on him. I would have shared Jesus with him, and, and I, I would have, I would have uh, warned him, don't you ever do but, uh, and, and you say, how can you do that? I can't. I don't have it in me. I know what's in me. The ability to hurt. Uh, it, it, I, I have within me the ability to, 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 to kill. I, I have the ability to do to others what they have done to me or to my own. But God has given me the ability to forgive. He's called me to that. And where He guides, He provides Many people look at their own lives and their destructive patterns, certain things that are happening in their lives, and they want to give up because it's too big to remove. They look at these life-controlling things and they say, I can't change. This is who I am. This is how it's going to be for the rest of my life. I might as well just give into it because this is who I am. I'm genetically predisposed or, or, or this happened to me a long time ago or I've, I've, I've been hooked to this or addicted to this or, or I need this or this is who I am. This is my identity and all of these different things. And I say, no, we can't give into that. Why? Because God gives us the ability to see those things broken in our lives and I know <coughs> that there is nothing in this world that is greater than his delivering power. We have to get a hold of that and we can't say this is who I am. We have to say but he can help me and he can do this. It's not in my ability but it's far within his ability. When you hear those voices saying I'm just going to give into it I can't change. This is who I am. Here's what you must do. Tell the Lord, you can't change you, but in the same breath, declare that he can. Maybe the Lord directed you to a new job or new responsibilities. Maybe you feel right now overwhelmed or inadequate, even incompetent. But the one who gave it to you will help and equip you. You prayed for that job. You prayed for that position. You prayed for those new responsibilities. Now he's given it to you, but he's also going to give you the ability to make it happen. His Holy Spirit can strengthen you and enlighten you and quicken your mind. Maybe you're going through a big life transition right now. You're newly married or you're a new parent or you're just graduating or you're moving or you're retiring and, and all of these big changes or some of these big changes are happening at the same time and you're just wondering if you're going to be up to it. Perhaps somebody left you or somebody died or somebody abandoned you and you're feeling alone and you're feeling weary and your confidence is waning and you just feel like, I just don't know if, <coughs> if I can make it. <coughs> maybe a diagnosis, excuse me, maybe a diagnosis has thrust you into a place that you never even thought you'd be. All of a sudden, your world is turned upside down and you're going, I don't know if I have what it takes to go through this. <clears throat> it's then that you must remember that the God who leads us 
into hard and challenging places will also equip us for those times. Why? Because where God guides, God provides. I, I have to tell you, folks, I have lived this. I have lived this, it seems like, my entire adult life. God keeps calling me things to thing, to, calling me to things that I was never equipped for, that I was never trained for, that I was never planned to be, and yet God still says, I'm, and, 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 and that's why so many thousands of times I said, God, I don't, know, I don't know if I can do this in myself, and I, in fact, I know I can't do it in myself, but I know that if you're calling me to do this, then I can do it in you. The same God who empowered up an old shepherd named Moses can empower me. That the God who empowered a young shepherd named David to kill giants and to himself become king, then that same God empowers me. That the God who took up a a man who was the foremost persecutor of Christians and turned him around to the greatest proponent of the gospel can change me. That the God who took a young man without confidence named Saul and made him king, and for a time he was a very good king, is the same God who can change me and change you and equip me and change you and me into the person who's up to the task so that we can give glory to him. Where God guides, he provides. At the end of a Sunday school class on David and Goliath, the teacher of the young children, the teacher quizzed her class with this question. She taught about Goliath and David, and she asked the question, how tall was Goliath? Five-year-old Rebecca, with a very perplexed look on her face, struggled for a moment to remember the right number, how tall Goliath was. And suddenly, her face brightened, and with a very big smile, she raised her hand and confidently said, I know he was a little smaller than God. That's good theology. When you encounter giants in your life, and they may be giants on the job, giants in our life, giants in our body, giants with the diagnosis, giants. If you're young, get ready, you're going to face some giants. If you're old, you're still facing some giants. You're going to face giants all the way through, but listen. When you face the giants in your life, remember this. They're all smaller than, than God. Get a hold of that theology. You're going to see this on the screen. When you're in right relationship with Jesus Christ, then however challenging or overwhelming something may appear, at its largest, it is still smaller than our Lord. At its largest. Folks, I am not minimizing what you're going through. I am not saying that what you're facing isn't a big deal. I am not saying that this learning curve that you are right now at or the 
the challenge that is just before you or just over the horizon. I'm not saying that they're not big. I am saying this, that our God is bigger, that our Savior is bigger. So in closing this morning, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to do something. Before I close in prayer, and we close this time, I want to pray for certain persons here. But I'm going to ask you to make a step of faith. Some of you are going to be immediately tempted to not respond because of what other people might think. Well, then, right there is a giant you need to overcome. And that's called fear of man. Quite frankly, most people don't care what you're going through. They're kind of focused on themselves. So they're not going to remember. But right now, I want to give you the opportunity to respond in faith. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I am going to ask you to do something physical. In just a moment, I'm going to have you stand if you are facing something that is big, that is beyond your own ability. And by standing, you are declaring, I need the godly confidence and the strength and the anointing. I need godly competence to do what he's called me to do. It's all dependent upon our relationship with Jesus Christ. Again, if you're in right relationship with Christ, it's all dependent upon that. But this morning, if you're one of those, and by the way, if I were seated, I would be standing in just a moment. But if that's you and you want to pray, I'm not going to have you come forward, but I want to pray for you. So if you're facing something and you're saying, Lord, I need help, to do what you've called me to do or what you're calling me to do. I need godly confidence and I need godly competence. I need you to change me into another person who can do what you've called me to do. If that's you, stand right now. Stand right now. Don't look around. Just stand right now. Not everyone's going to be standing. That's all right. If you're you're seated, that's fine. But if that's you, stand right now. you to bow your heads with me. I want to pray over you. Lord, you know there's nothing special in me, (laughs) and these people know there's nothing special in me. I know there's nothing special in me, but Lord, there's something that you've called me to, and that is I'm a pastor. And for many of these people, I'm their pastor. And so, Lord, I I pray for them. As an under-shepherd in your kingdom, as an under-shepherd in your worldwide flock, I ask that right now, these people who have stood and who are facing something bigger than perhaps they've ever faced before, when there is a task before them that is so big, it's so overwhelming, and they have even wondered at times if they have what it takes to do it. But Lord, first of all, I pray that you would give them godly confidence.
that they would know that they are in this position, that they are facing this challenge because they are in your will. Having given their lives to you, having surrendered their lives to you, Lord, you have directed them. Now I pray that they would also not only stand in that confidence that they are in the right place, even though it's difficult, I pray that you would reassure them in their spirit, more than just in their minds as I have brought this message, but in their spirit, reassure them that where you guide, you also provide. Lord, these are people who are simply declaring, I don't have it in me but you have it in you for me. These are people who are saying, change me into another man, change me into another woman. Give me the goods necessary to do what you've called me to do. Give me the encouragement to go a little bit longer so that when the breakthrough comes, when the answer comes, when the situation is resolved, when the healing happens, when the deliverance takes place, The glory will not go to us, but to you. For we by standing declare that we cannot do it, but you can. Give them this holy confidence, holy boldness, and holy competence. I pray this, Lord, for every person standing here today. And by faith, Lord, I believe that having stepped out in faith, they will receive that answer. In Jesus' name, would, would you all stand? Now, <clears throat> would you, and would you do this? And this is going to freak some of you out. Take the hand of the person next to you, even if you don't know. Let's pray for these people. Yeah, go ahead and stand. Take the hand of the person next to you. And let's just pray for them right now as we close. Lord, I thank you for this person on my right. And I thank you for their life, and I thank you for calling them. I thank you for saving them, for their life that has changed. I pray that you would use that person on my right. Lord, for the person on my left, I ask that you will bless them this week and that they will be a blessing. I pray that you will give them all that they need, that you will supply all that they lack, that they will trust you in ways greater than they've ever trusted you before in the coming days. So Lord, I may not even know this person, but I pray for them. Now, Lord, as we leave this place, we ask that we would go in your strength, in your power. Lord, help us to be the church, to love you with everything in us, to love others as we love ourselves, and to share you, Jesus, the greatest message, the only message that can really ever change a soul, change an eternity, change a destiny. It's you alone. I thank you, Lord, for this church. I thank you for this body of believers. Lord, there are, they represent many around the world. We ask your blessing upon them as we go our way in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. Go in the power and in the strength of the Lord. Jesus Christ.